The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Dive right in. I'm going to pray, and we'll get in uh, to uh, our membership class. Father, I praise you first and foremost, just that you are uh, such a wonderful, holy, loving Father. Praise you that we can come here. and uh, worship you to open your word and learn more about you pray father that you just give us hearts of humility and and um, love for you and through that through your love for us father i pray that you would help us to love one another well help us as we come before this topic of um, uh, our membership class and just kind of looking at some of the distinctives that make cbc uh, who we are i i pray father that you would just help it to be a time uh, that, that isn't just kind of learning about who we are, but that we would really and truly uh, be desirous of uh, not having our, our uh, own identity be the thing, uh, but that you, our, our identity in Christ, would be what, what drives us. Father, please just uh, bless this time uh, together this morning in your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so welcome to our membership class for, uh, for those of you who are kind of joining this week. It was a bit of a different format than we've done it in the past because in the past we've done it anywhere from six weeks where we spent an entire class on each topic. Then we kind of realized that we could consolidate that down to three weeks uh, where we do uh, kind of cover two topics in each class. Uh, but this last Sunday school class that we had on what is a healthy church member, that really covered uh, the last two topics that we would typically talk about in our membership class. Uh, so the next two weeks, this uh, the two, cl- two subjects this week, two subjects next week, are really kind of looking more, as I prayed, on the distinctives of CBC, kind of what, what drives us as a church, why v- various things about... Uh, like today, we're going to be talking about why we, why we say ordinary people extraordinary grace, why we're confessional, uh, what we're willing to fight for, just kind of what really makes us who we are unique. This is one thing as you look across Nashville and you throw a rock, you can hit a church basically. But there's a, there's a reason why there's so many different churches and so many uh, different denominations is because we do have, we, we for those who are especially Protestant in the faith, we read the word and we do come to some different conclusions. And because of that, it's, it's important for us to kind of gather around like-minded people so we can, and as we join in membership, we can basically be able to say that we are in, in a fair amount of agreement about what the word of God says. You're not gonna come to church and be surprised at what you're hearing from the pulpit or in a Sunday school class thinking that, hey, isn't, I think this belongs kind of somewhere else. So this first part of the class is understanding our why, what drives us as a church. I just want to read this synopsis of this class, and I'm just going to break down a few of the key terms uh, that pop up in this paragraph, and we'll just walk through those together. So this section will explain our passion for the gospel and the assumed need we place upon everyone who walks through our doors. We are united through our collective brokenness and our salvation found in Christ's finished work on the cross. This section will describe what we mean by ordinary people, extraordinary grace. Just breaking down a few of these things, the the first one that popped out to me that just in my mind uh, cries out for a little explanation is the word brokenness. And I I say that because I, I find it is an abused word these days in the church. There are a lot of churches that celebrate brokenness and they make it their identity that we are just broken people. And they almost celebrate the fact that we are just, we're, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. And we're all sinners over and over and over again. And they make much of their sin and little of Christ. So when we talk about our brokenness, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in just a second. We're, but we're really looking at the, the position that we have before God as broken sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God. We fall far short of his glory. We need a savior. So 
we, we're not a church that celebrates brokenness in that sense. We, we don't ever want to be a people who say, well, we're all sinners and just use that as, a, as an excuse for everything. We wanna be striving for holiness. We wanna be striving for the righteousness that is ours in Christ, to be walking in obedience, to be walking in a manner worthy of our calling. We're, we are not a church that, that celebrates, celebrates sin. So, oh, that's, that's the one document I forgot. Let me grab, I meant to bring my confession with me. Sorry about that. So what do we mean by brokenness? In, in chapter six of our confession, walking through the fall of man's sin and its punishment. I just kind of want to kind of want to read through this and I'll just talk on a couple points uh, for the sake of time. I can't spend a lot of time, but just this is what we're meaning when we talk about brokenness. Although God created man, and this is for the recording, this is the confession. Although God created man upright and perfect and gave him a righteous law, which had been unto life had he kept it, and threatened death upon the breach thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtlety of the serpent to subdue Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who, without any compulsion, did willingly transgress the law of their creation, and he commanded, and, and the command given to them in eating the forbidden fruit, which God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purpose in order uh, to order it to his glory. Our first parents, by this sin, by their eating of, from the, the fruit from the forbidden tree, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead to sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but that's what we're talking about when we talk about our brokenness. Just listen to those, the, those items from uh, paragraph two. Again, we felt we lost our communion with God. Death came upon all and becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of soul and body. We are, we are when, we, when we talk about kind of maybe total depravity, we're not saying that everyone is always as evil and bad as they possibly could be, but we are talking about the totality of who we are, body and soul. We are broken. We are fallen creatures. We have no standing uh, before God. So the question then is, and, and why, why we make much of the gospel, why our passion is the gospel, is how are we reconciled to a holy God when we are such broken sinners, when we are totally fallen? How in the world can we possibly be reconciled to God? Well, I just want to read Ephesians 2, very well-known passage, of course. I'm going, to re I'm going to go ahead and read it just for the sake of the recording this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's describing what kind of I just talked about in the confession. Then the sweet, sweet word from verse four, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
The gospel is the fact that as such broken sinners, never able in our own strength to reconcile our, ourselves to, our, to God Almighty, it is God who does the reconciling. He is the one who sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to, to rescue us. Christ came to, to fulfill what the first Adam and ever since all of us have failed to do. Christ came to perfectly obey God, to perfectly obey the standard of righteousness, of holiness that God had set from the very beginning. So, so Christ comes and he fulfills all righteousness for us. And then as the sinless son of God who had just, has just come to fulfill all righteousness, he's carried away to a cross to suffer and die for our sins, paying the penalty that needed to be paid so that we could be brought into the household of faith, that we could be brought into the family of God. Christ lived for us so that his perfect righteousness could be imputed to our record. He died for us, completely covering the penalty of our sin. He's raised for us so that we have new life in Christ. He has ascended and sits on high, interceding for us even now. It's like the, the song that we sing when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the, of the guilt within. Upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because my sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. It's just, this, is, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is, this is why... This is our passion, because there's a lot of churches that can have a number of things that they're passionate about. But any, I think any church needs to have as the center of their passion, the passion of the gospel. Because we are not reconciled to God by doing good works. We're not reconciled to God by being uh, politically active in certain ways. We're not reconciled to God. And all these things that might be good things, it is through Jesus Christ that we are reconciled, that we have peace with God, that we are justified before him. So we celebrate and have a passion for the gospel because it is the gospel that each and every one of us desperately needs. It's Christ that we desperately need. And that's, that's kind of the heartbeat of our church. As we think about ordinary people, extraordinary grace, it's not one of these things where we think, we've kind of arrived and no longer need that message anymore. That message is for those people out there. The, pa the, the passion that we have for the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we all need it. The gospel isn't just that entryway into the Christian life. It is the totality of our Christian life. We live and breathe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it is what we all desperately rely on. And it is a message that we want to share. So we want others to hear this message because it is the only way that man can have peace with God. We talk about in, our, in this little synopsis and, and uh, frequently around here that we don't want to assume the gospel when I think of assuming the gospel, one of the passages that pops in my mind is, is James 2. First seven verses, James writes, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in, your, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of which you were called? We have, we have a bad habit sometimes as, as Christians, whether we're looking sometimes at ourselves or at others that come in 
We might see uh, the family kind of come in with smiles on their face. They've all got Bibles neatly tucked under, under their arms, and they're coming in, and we might say, oh, these people no longer need the gospel. They've got it together. They're good to go. And then we see someone come in who doesn't have a Bible, paint whatever picture in your mind that, that you might want to paint for that person that you think, oh, now they need the gospel. That is not the heartbeat of our church. The heartbeat of our church is that every single person that walks in needs the gospel. Because whether you're the, the family that walks in looking that you, like you have it all together and in the back and the, the reality of the situation is you don't, or maybe you're the family that comes in looking like you have it all together and you do have a lot of your stuff together and you are a family that maybe we can look up to. It's like, man, I want to kind of learn how that man leads his family. That's wonderful. Both need the gospel. Both absolutely need the gospel. The gospel sustains us. It is our, our life breath. Everyone, everyone needs it. Um, last couple passages just to kind of um, sum up the synopsis here as we talk about that we are united through our collective brokenness and our salvation and found in Christ. You know, this is, you know, th just thinking of Doug, again, Doug's sermon uh, a little while back, the fact is that we are united in him. And it is, it is uh, if we are in Christ, we are indeed uh, united. And it's not something that we create, it's only something that we maintain. But back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together, uh, you, you are all, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we understand that we are united to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, we right, realize that that, and what scripture teaches is that we are also united to one another. So as we gather around together, one of the things that might be a distinctive for CBC is we believe that the majority of scripture is written to the corporate church. We want more to read scripture through the lens of how we ought to live it out together than simply living it out individually. Now, I'm not saying living it out individually is wrong, but much of the scriptures are written to the corporate church. This is one of the reasons I, I say you, you really can't say that you love Christ and say that you hate his church. We are meant, we are created to be people who live together. We are meant to live this Christian life together. So many of the things that we talked about in our healthy church member class focus just on that. Why we need to do these things as a body of believers. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to be a member of a church is because as you come into a church and say, I want to be a member of this church. I want to take that right hand of fellowship. I want to be counted among the members. You are saying, I want to love on you and you love on me as that is prescribed in, in scripture. As Sheldon taught about a healthy church member seeks discipline. That's a beautiful thing. It's a humbling thing. But we all, as we realize we are sinners, we all ought to be seeking one another out to point out those areas where we have fallen flat, point out, out those areas of sin, point out those areas uh, where we are failing to show love to our brothers. That's one of the things that we are uh, desperately in need of is, is one another. So we are united together in Christ through his finished work, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, just to wrap up with a quick, a quick quote. I love this quote from John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. If you've ever read uh, his autobiography, Out of the Depths 
Um, it's a great one. If you haven't, I would highly recommend it. From what I remember reading it a number of years ago, one of the things I love about his autobiography, it, 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 it doesn't start off by saying, I'm going to paint this whole picture of, of how, you know, what a broken and horrible sinner I was, and then I'll give a little bit about Jesus. He starts off, before he kind of paints the story, and it's almost throughout, he can't help say how, what a wonderful Savior Christ is. It's just flowing out from the very first pages. It's all about Christ. And he says, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. That's what we mean when we say we are ordinary people live in extraordinary grace. Ordinary people, extraordinary grace. We are ordinary people, which means we are people stained with sin. We are people who struggle against sin. We are people who struggle to obey as we ought to obey. And we have a wonderful Savior. It is an extraordinary grace that we want to preach and, and teach in every Sunday school class, in every sermon, in everything we do. We want that to be kind of the heartbeat, the drumbeat of CBC, is that we are nothing special. But we serve a wonderful Savior. And um, that's... That's kind of, that's the heartbeat. That's the, the why of kind of what drives us as a church now. I'm going to pass the mic off to John for the next section of this class. All right. So for the, the second part of this class, um, we're going to get into um, our theological foundations. And so what do we mean when we say that? What are, this would be the foundations that we hold to. So obviously the gospel is the first um, and most important thing that we want to celebrate. That's our DNA. But also um, we have a statement of faith. So on our website, um, there's a statement of faith. And I'm just going to kind of walk through the statement of faith. Before I do, I kind of want to help us understand a little bit about what kind of the where the statement of faith or, or kind of hierarchy of, of our belief system, our theological convictions. The first is uh, our name is Community Bible Church. So we obviously place a huge importance on scripture. That would be the, the, the most foundational thing that we believe uh, is that scripture should inform all of what we do as a church and all of what we do in our lives. Um, Bible church sometimes get a, gets a connotation for being a specific type of church. Um, and so we're a little bit probably different, and we'll get into that, our statement of faith, and certainly um, our adherence to a confession would kind of make us distinct from what you might consider a Bible church, ge generically speaking. So the Bible is first. Um, our statement of faith would be kind of the next tier of what we believe. Um, and so our statement of faith, I'm going to walk through each of them. In essence, if you don't believe something in our statement of faith, you're probably going to be uncomfortable here. So you're going to our statement of faith is something that we assume in our teaching, Sunday school teaching, at the pulpit, uh, in our conversations with each other. These are things that we assume um, we all believe. So if you don't believe something in the statement of faith, that that probably is going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, and then the third Jeremy mentioned is we adhere to the 1689 Confession of Faith, London Baptist Confession of Faith. So that means us a Baptist church. It's not in our name, but that would make us Baptist church. Um, and we would take that creeds and confessions and put that kind of in a tertiary issue. So scripture first, our statement of faith is pretty much what we believe and it's fairly generic. So there's room for arguments. We'll talk about some of that. And then our confession, our confession is the 1689 London Baptist Confession. There are other confessions. There are other creeds. You may hear us talk about those confessions and creeds um, and catechisms. We think that they are beneficial for us. So they, inf they tie us to Christian traditions throughout the church and much 
I'll say it, much smarter people than me have spent a lot more time reading scripture uh, and studying the word and have put down things that they think are beneficial and we would agree. Uh, if it disagrees with scripture, then we would have a problem with it. But if it agrees with scripture, um, we think that that's beneficial. Our statement of faith is going to be our foundational beliefs. You can find these on our website. Um, they are going to inform, like I said, our, the way that we view scripture. So they're a summary of what we think scripture says about to different topics. The first one is scriptures. Um, we believe in the verbal, plenary, God-breathed inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, consisting of 66 books. We would say they are inerrant in their original writing. So um, membership class, we're talking to, you know, I know in the past, Deanna and I have looked for churches. And one of the things that we do is we look at the statement of faith and see what it says. Because the statement of faith is going to be very thought out, very specific about what the church believes. So when we say verbal, plenary, God-breathed inspiration, that is going to make us distinct from other churches who might say, that maybe it's not verbal, or maybe it was kind of just paraphrased from God. Um, there are some churches that don't put an errant in their statement of faith when it comes to scripture. We would say that the Bible is in the inerrant word of God. So we, if we're a Bible church and we're gonna place a ton of importance on scripture as our theological foundation, then we believe specific things about the Bible. And so that would kind of make us distinct. Uh, we are a Trinitarian church, so we believe in the triune God. Again, very specific language. We believe in one God who externally existed in, exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory. So we believe in the Trinity. There are some churches that don't hold to the Trinity or would use different language to describe the Trinity, modalism, things like that. We believe in in the Trinity as specifically um, are, are talked about here. And then our statement of faith goes into God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The next section Jeremy talked a decent amount about uh, is man. Um, it says, we believe man was created in the image and likeness of God, but that in Adam's sin, the race fell, inherited a sinful nature, and became alienated from God and that man is totally depraved in the sense that his whole being is affected and cursed by sin so that he cannot, in his state, please God. We believe that he is unrighteous in an absolute sense and can only accomplish relative good. We believe that he is lost and in and of himself utterly unable to remedy his condition. So we adhere, we would, we would affirm total depravity as, as uh, a way as a way of thinking about our nature without Christ. And then we believe that salvation is a gift of God brought to man by grace and that man is justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone and is thus given a new position of righteousness and holy standing before God in which he becomes a son of God by spiritual rebirth, a new creation in Christ. We believe that all redeemed once saved are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. And we believe in this, it is the privilege of believers to rejoice in the assurance of their salvation through the testimony of God's word, which however clearly forbids the use of Christian liberty on occasion of the flesh. So kind of the big picture is um, we would tie in with the reformation view of uh, man's status and um, what salvation means. So we would affirm um, total depravity and, um, and that our salvation is a complete gift of God. It's not something that we do. We're not justifying ourselves. Um, and that once um, someone is truly regenerated, truly saved, um, that has actually happened in the person that it's impossible for that to be taken away. They can't lose their salvation. So we don't believe that somebody can lose their salvation by their own actions because it wasn't theirs in the first place. Um, and that we should rejoice in that. So even though on this side of heaven, we are, we still have sin, uh, it doesn't define us. 
um, and um, we should we should not dwell on our sin. We should re be constantly reminded of the gospel. So back to what Jeremy was talking about. The church, we believe the church, which is the body espoused bride of Christ, is a spiritual organism made up of all born-again persons of this present age and is distinct from the nation of Israel. And we believe that the establishment and continuance of local churches is clearly taught and defined in the New Testament scriptures. So a few things on this, kind of practical things. Um, our church is an elder-led church. So there's kind of two general types of uh, church, or I guess, I mean three, I guess. So, the, so there's a congregational view of church leadership where the congregation kind of votes um, on everything uh, versus an elder-led church where there's elders are voted on by the congregation to lead the church and that the elders lead the church, uh, spiritually shepherd the church in specific ways. Um, and so we, we think that that is what scripture teaches about church, how the church should be structured. Um, we, uh, we would be distinct then from a lot of other Baptist kind of contexts that would be more congregational uh, in, in um, I guess, leadership. And we would also be distinct from um, Presbyterians who have a, a, a more hierarchical church leadership where there's a presbytery that's over the church. So our church is an independent church. We're not, practically speaking, we're not part of another organization, um, so we don't have any oversight of the church outside of the elders of the church. So that would be a distinct, a distinct thing for our church versus others. <clears throat> um, the next section is a longer section. I'm not going to read it. It's on sanctification. So we believe that once somebody is saved and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that uh, they will have some, I'll, I'll, quote this, inevitable varying and lifelong renovation of the inner man in thought, will, affection, and appetite. So we believe that your salvation uh, is not, is not the, the, the defining part of your Christian walk. It is the start of a process of sanctification where you are being changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and that it will vary from person to person. There will be peaks and valleys. I remember when we taught this, uh, we talked about kind of this jagged up and down. Sometimes you'll have rough, rough patches, but there's a trajectory towards holiness that won't be fully attained on this side of heaven, but we do believe that that is part of the Christian life. So we would, we would push back on someone that says, I was baptized or I came to faith and was baptized and I don't um, desire holiness in my life, and I'm okay with sin in my life. We would push back uh, on that view. Um, and like Jeremy mentioned, we would push back on a view that says, I am saved, uh, I was baptized, and I don't think participation in the local church is an important thing for my Christian life. So sanctification is something that happens in because of the spirit individually but god uses the local church and the things that we do um, as part of that sanctification that sanctification occurs because we're learning from each other and we're encouraging each other um, to fight sin uh, the lord's supper we believe that all born-again believers are to be invited to take part in the supper the lord's supper couple practical things. Uh, we um, celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. So there's that's a distinction uh, versus other churches, some churches uh, once a month, once a quarter. I think I've heard, I read somewhere Calvin's church, I think did it once a year or something crazy like that. Um, we do it once a week and we do it once a week because we forget. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And as soon as we walk out the door on Sunday, we are bombarded with other things that vie for our attention. And so our leadership instituted this six, seven years, something like that, and said we need to do this weekly because we need to be reminded of this every week. Um, and if you wanted to point towards um, kind of the confessional aspect of our church, um, 
that that is a, a f the the weekly worship service in more confessional kind of reformed churches that is a tendency of those churches is to celebrate weekly communion it's part of our worship um, uh, uh, we uh, we do something called fencing the table here um, that might be a little bit of a distinctive from other churches and so before we participate in communion uh, one of the elders or the pastor will talk about what communion is and who is welcome to the table. And they will also um, articulate who it should not participate in communion. And it's the table is for um, people that have professed faith in Christ. And so there's a clear articulation of what we are doing when we do communion. We're not, save, we're not saving ourselves by participating in communion. Um, there's not some mysterious thing that happens. We don't believe that there's something mysterious that goes on um, where the, the elements are changed uh, like the, the Roman church would preach or teach. Um, but we do believe that it's only for uh, believers in Christ. And we would argue, we, we want to articulate that. And we also want to articulate why, if you don't believe in Christ, it wouldn't make sense for you to participate because believers are being reminded of what Christ has done for them. And if you have not placed your faith in Christ, then, then that has not happened for you. So participating would not make sense. Um, and so you'll hear us talk about maybe uh, we don't want to confuse you. Um, Paul has stronger language when he talks about who should not receive communion. He talks about eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Um, and so we don't, we, we want to, we want to fence the table. So there's some, uh, context some other churches that might not think that that's an important thing to do and that's a distinctive of our church is that we think it's important to articulate um, what is happening and not happening in the, the supper Did, are there any questions so far no I didn't say anything I didn't say anything off right we're I'm kind of reading from the statement of faith so I'm pretty safe here Oh, let's get, let's get a little controversial. The second coming. Uh, we teach that Jesus will return to earth bodily in order to deliver his elect, to execute judgment on the living of the dead, to consummate his kingdom as promised to Abraham, Israel, and the church, to abolish all earthly rule, authority, and power, to put an end to the last enemy, which is death, and to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace by the blood of his cross. So we just believe that Christ is coming bodily again, and he's gonna accomplish those things. So that gives us a lot of flexibility in specific beliefs on eschatology. So you can, we probably have post-millennial post folks here. We have probably a predominance of amillennial here in our church. We have some pre-millennial folks so there's lots of different flavors of what eschatology looks like uh, in our church. And those are fun conversations that aren't going to make us uncomfortable on a Sunday morning, but on a Wednesday night over a, uh, a coffee might get kind of fun to talk about the different types of eschatology. So we are kind of open-ended when it comes to that. We're not going to... Um, we're not going to divide over that. That's not... Our statement of faith is Christ is coming back. And whether he's coming back um, in a post-millennial sense or in a pre-millennial sense, he's coming back. And we can agree on that. Now, if you say that Christ has already returned, then that would be a problem. We would kind of, we would consider that heresy and we would have a conversation with you about that. Ron. Sure. Yeah, eschatology. So the, the, the what happens at the end of the age. So uh, premillennial is that uh, Christ is going to return and there's going to be a thousand year reign and then he's going he's gonna to consummate all the things here. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, a, I'm not premillennial. Now, I would say there's two different types of premillennialism. There's uh, dispensational premillennialism and then there's like historic premillennialism. I would say that the confession, our confession that we hold to would probably make the dispensational premillennial a little bit more uncomfortable, but again, we're not going to divide on that. Um, we'll talk about the confession in, in a little bit. 
uh, our millennial would say um, that, that the millennial uh, statements in Revelation were not literal and there's not gonna be a literal reign and so we're just in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Um, Post-millennials would view, would say that uh, Christ is coming back, but that he's gonna come back to a church triumphant and that the, um, the great commission of making disciples of all nations is, a, is, is, is gonna be fulfilled and that Christ is gonna return to a triumphant church. Um, and so that when he returns, he's going to do all these things that I just mentioned, but that he'll be coming back to a, a successful um, proclamation of the gospel and a su successful um, uh, establishing of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That would be the post-millennial view as best as I can articulate that. Um, the eternal state, uh, we believe in hell. So we believe that if you don't profess faith in Christ in this life, um, that you will receive judgment and that you will be alienated from God. Um, and so we do believe in conscious torment of hell. Um, and that would be a, another distinction between from us and other churches. Um, the one thing, and we've talked about this recently, um, that's not in, that isn't addressed in our statement of faith um, is baptism. Uh, which is I was kind of surprised by that our statement of faith addresses the Lord's Supper but doesn't address baptism as kind of the other sacrament that was instituted by the church. Um, we're Baptistic, so we believe in immersion uh, upon profession of faith. That would be our, our, our kind of what we believe as a church. Um, but our statement of faith doesn't say that. So there's obviously room for... Uh, for us to, to discuss that further. Um, and then I'll finish uh, talking about the London Baptist Confession of Faith. So that would be, so our statement of faith, we're gonna hold tight to these things. If you don't believe what any of those things, then you're gonna have a, a hard time operating in our church. Um, but the London Baptist Confession of Faith is something that we adhere to as an additional tertiary, additional below scripture and below our statement of faith um, confession of beliefs. It's, it's a, a lot of different things. It talks about a lot more detail than our statement of faith does. Um, but we believe that these, this confession specifically gives us guidance. Um, it would be placed below scripture, but it would help us to identify kind of identify what scripture is saying about certain topics. Um, we believe that it connects us to the wisdom um, of faithful Christians of the past. Um, and folks that have um, fought at a much higher level for uh, the faith, um, physically fought, uh, but certainly um, spiritually um, fought for our faith. At, at, and so a lot of the confessions that we, the two main confessions, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which would differ pretty much in pre from, at, from in, uh, on baptism, and then our confession of faith, a lot of a lot of it is really cut and paste, so that plagiarism wasn't as big, I guess, in the 1600s, <laughs> but very much similar. But at that point of baptism and a few other things, covenantalism, those those kinds of things would be a little bit different. But we think that that is a useful guide for us, and so there are that would make us distinct from other church contexts um, that would shy away or even be completely against anything but scripture. We think that there's wisdom in the past um, and we wanna tap into that wisdom of the past as often as we can. Certainly before TV was a thing, when people had to like actually read everything. <laughs> so uh, there's a minister that says anything that's less than 100 years old, I'm already skeptical of. Uh, so we think that there's, there's wisdom in, in tapping into those um, resources that have have um, have provided um, value to churches. We think it's a level setting of orthodoxy, so we, it helps us to say uh, these are some orthodox things. They've been orthodox for 400 years, and so we're going to continue uh, in that tradition. And it does connect us to the reform tradition. So in our statement of faith, there are some clues um, to the reform tradition: the soul, the five solas. Um, the idea of total depravity. We don't articulate 
um, all of the uh, the, the uh, Calvinistic uh, belief system, but we do um, hold to that, it, but it connects us to the Reformed tradition. So we, we, would, we would welcome people that don't have a Calvinistic view of salvation. That is not something that would be a go, no go, but we, that's something we hold to, uh, and you'll hear that preached. So if you don't believe that, um, that, that might be a, a great topic of conversation. It's certainly not a reason to disfellowship or to, to you know, find another church, but it certainly would be a situation where uh, you might hear things that are not, um, not what you might believe about salvation. Um, and so the London Baptist Confession at CBC is on the website. There's printed copies. Um, previous elder boards have put commentary into the confession. Um, I, I think most of them are clarifying comments, um, but that's not something that the current elder board has like weighed in or spent any substantial time looking at. Uh, but it seems like most of the comments are more clarification of the language, although there's a few places where there's a disagreement uh, the church disagrees with. Um, but we haven't like sat down and said, oh, do we still disagree with this? This was seven years ago, I think, six years ago when that was last done. So, um, and that's it. That's our theological foundations. Anything I missed or Sheldon or Jeremy or anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would say there's probably very little to no disagreement between the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, Athanasius Creed. There's they're pretty much on the same level. Um, so the big that and they would be creeds versus confession. Creeds are kind of more short, pithy statements that kind of you know there's some church contexts. Um, you know, especially in the reform tradition that would recite out loud as a corporate, as a corporate body, those creeds, um, as a way to say, Hey, just, just in case we forgot, here's what we believe. And we want to talk to, we want to talk it out to each other. We want to say it to each other. So there's, there's, there's some context for that. The confession is much more in depth on things. Um, and so it, we would, we would not discount, but we would say, um, if you were to if you were to make a comparison, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession of Faith would be contemporary to each other and differ on a few things. And so we would say we adhere to this confession as opposed to the Westminster Confession. But we still use the Westminster. I mean, I, I use it sometimes in Sunday school to bring home a point. Um, we don't have a great catechism. Baptist catechism versus the Westminster larger and shorter catechism is much more in depth. And so I tap into that a decent amount when I'm teaching. Um, certainly not on certain subjects that we would disagree with that, but the catechism question and answer, um, the Heidelberg catechism is something we've, we quote when we can. So there's kind of creeds, confessions, and then catechisms. And that's really just helping to teach each other what the beliefs are. So. That would be in creeds, short, pithy, confessions, more specific, and then catechisms, kind of the application of the beliefs that you find in the confession. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big one that and I know we, we've talked about it in our church context is sab the Sabbath. So the, a, the confession is, is Sabbatarian. Um, and we, and that's one of the comments that the el the previous elder boards has put in the, in our specific confession is that they don't, that we, that's an open-handed issue that we can discuss. So that, so there are people that are Sabbatarians at our church and there are people that are not Sabbatarians and we get along really well. So that would be one part of the confession. Um, there's a part where it talks about the Pope being the Antichrist. We would, we would probably 
you know, we can argue about that, but we would, we would call A, we would, without being arrogant enough to want to change a document that that's old, that's that old, most people would say, hey, we believe that this should be altered a little bit. Um, so yes, there's, and the confession also is, is silent on things too. So they don't talk about end times uh, specifically. Um, and how baptism happens, uh, they, uh, the Lord's Supper is kind of generic. It doesn't, it just says it's a sacrament and it should be administered by the right people. But like whether we use juice or do what Jesus did and use wine is open-ended. What kind of cracker we use, like all that stuff is kind of left um, open. So we can argue about that. Debate. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We would say, just for the recording, we would say, and we will have these because we are bringing in these additional documents. Um, we're going to have disagreements, and we should do that charitably and graciously, and it should never cause division. And if it does, then, then we're doing it wrong. So it should always be, if it's not an issue, that we would be like using the H word, the heresy word, then if it's a tertiary issue like eschatology, like the, the mode of the Lord's Supper, like uh, the role of the Christian in government, like all those things, those should be things that we can argue about, debate about, and then hug each other at the end. Um, and so we wanna be a place, part of our DNA is that if we believe what Jeremy said, that we have a low view of ourselves and a high view of our grace and what God has done for us, then we should never think that we've arrived on any tertiary, it, like we should allow for that disagreement and allow for um, grace to be shown to each other as grace has been shown to us. Any other comments or questions? All right, I'll pray for us and we can get, be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for, um, the opportunity that we have uh, to get together in this unique way that you've called us to. We pray that you would be with our church, that you'd be with us individually, that we would be charitable towards each other, that we would show each other grace, and that we would um, just cling to these theological foundations that you've given us. We pray uh, as we transition to worship that you would open up our hearts uh, and minds to what you have for us, that we would worship in spirit and truth, um, that you'd be with uh, Jeremy as he preaches, uh, and that you would be with all of us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.